Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, your creator and host. With me this week is my wife, Carol. Say hello, Carol. Hello. Well, hello. Howdy. For you in Texas. There you go. <laughs> the views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Yeah, I can. I do too. <laughs> yeah. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. 23-year-old nurse and former beauty queen Alexandra Vivchuruk thought the warm spring night in 1962 would be perfect for a walk down by the river before her midnight shift at Saskatoon City Hospital. Alexandra did not show up for work that night, and it was not until 13 days later that children stumbled upon her broken body in a shallow grave. Someone had savagely beaten the young woman, brutally raped her, and then buried her alive, leaving her to die. Nearly 60 years later, no one has ever been brought to justice in Alexander Vivjuruk's murder. Oh. You are listening to episode 158, The Girl in Saskatoon, Who Killed Alexandra Vivjuruk? I'm sure that your mom will remember this case as she is from Saskatoon. Yeah, I'm sure she was there in 1962. She didn't go to Calgary till I think, like, late 60s. So she would have been there. Yeah, wow. On learning of this case, I thought of the mysterious case of Cindy James, a story Dark Poutine covered in episode 43. Both women were nurses who disappeared and were discovered two weeks later. But as I researched, I found the similarities pretty much ended there. Alexandra's murder does not raise the same questions that Cindy James did, but it's no less compelling because it is unsolved. And plus, Saskatoon is tiny, like small town, so... Ugh. Alexander Vivchuruk was born on April 20, 1939 in Saskatchewan, near the tiny village of Endeavour, just over 300 kilometers west of Saskatoon. 
daughter of a sizable Ukrainian family, Alexandra was the youngest of ten. Her six older brothers and three older sisters were her protectors as well as her mentors. Her eldest sister, Marie Moss, later told CBC's Fifth Estate, quote, She was the happiest girl around, she was full of life, and she would dance. She was always happy. She was very special, end quote. The village they lived near was tiny, with a large farming families being the standard on the prairies that was given that one family knew all the others, and children would go to school sharing the same classes up to high school. Alex, however, was sent to Saskatoon to go to high school living with her older sister and her husband. Religion was also crucial in Alexandra's family, as they were very active in the community built around the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Alexandra was a bright student. She was pretty and well-liked by her classmates. Many of them were also Ukrainian. She was active in the drama club. She loved music and sang in high school musicals. One was the Pirates of Penzance, and my mom, Marion, sang in the same musical when she was in high school around the same time. Very popular. Yeah. On Fridays at noon, Alexandra would dance up a storm at the school sock hops with her buddies. And on Friday nights, she would join the other teens from the school for a film like Love Me Tender, starring the king of rock and roll himself, Elvis Presley. Alexandra was not unhappy, but she had that stoic prairie way about her that many girls had during that era. She had lots of friends, and one of those friends, Sharon Butala, would go on to write a book about Alexandra's murder years later. Here's an excerpt from the book called The Girl in Saskatoon. Quote, The last firm memory I have of Alex took place in the gym where we had our dance practices and where we were sent to eat our lunches. I remember that my friends and I were last to leave that day and Alex and a few of her girlfriends were already walking away when one of my friends called something to her. Alex turned to look over her right shoulder to throw back a short, polite reply. I remember that she did not smile that she seemed, if anything, bored or perhaps even a little sad, and that she was wearing a wine-colored cardigan over a white blouse and a straight skirt in either navy or dark green that came well below her knees. I remember the rich coloring in her cheeks, the darkness of her thick short hair, and especially in that moment her seriousness. I sometimes think that we had more maturity then, at 17, a result of our trained submissiveness than we did a few years later when we had been more or less freed into the world and were acting out all the things forbidden us for so long. Yep, sounds right. <laughs> yeah, people had uh, high expectations of their children and they expected them to behave in those days. And yep, yeah. a lot of pressure. And then once you kind of get free of it, good times. Good times. Alexandra felt the weight of her family's expectations for her to succeed in life. She was to be the first out of all the kids in her family to go off to post-secondary school after high school. She was the only one they were able to save enough cash to send to college. At first, Alexandra dreamt of seeing the world as a flight attendant, but at 5'1", she did not meet the minimum height requirement to get the job. Her next choice was nursing school. So, in 1959, she started attending college at the Yorkton Union Hospital School of Nursing. Once she was off to school... Alexander's folks sold the farm and moved closer to town. Sharon Butella wrote about Alexander as she matured during her stint at nursing school from Ms. Butella's book, The Girl in Saskatoon. In those years, Alex blossomed into a very attractive young woman and men began to pursue her. Her family thinks that she had no special boyfriend but chose to go out in gangs of girls and boys, but others remember her dating regularly. 
One Yorkton man remembered going out on double dates with Alex and her escort, and his girlfriend, who was also a student nurse in Alex's class. He described Alex as cuddly, a girl who thought nothing of hugging men she knew if she ran into them on the street or at a party long before hugging was the commonplace it is today. She was little, and men flocked around her. After thinking for a moment, he added that she was perhaps more naive than the other girls. After another pause, with some emotion common among men who had known her when telling me about her, he said, quote, I always thought of her as a precious little jewel, end quote. You're making a face, so do you want to talk about that? Well, just talking about her like she's like a little kid or something. Yeah, she's a grown-up going to school. Like, yeah. maybe she was young, but... But at the same time, he is now an, a much older man remembering back to a time, you know... I guess that's how he remembered her. Yeah. The short story about Alexander Vivchuk in Lisa Wojna's true crime anthology, Unsolved Murders of Canada, talks about Alexander's attractiveness and how others reacted to her. Wojna writes, quote, She was also a stunning woman. Photographs depict a dreamy-eyed beauty with full lips and dark hair that appeared to have a natural wave to it. Every image shows her with her head held high and shoulders back, drawing attention to her long, lean neck and giving her a regal quality. It's no wonder she was publicly recognized for her beauty and grace, earning the title of Queen of the Kinet Skating Carnival in Yorkton in 1960. And then again, she was chosen to represent the city in the Saskatchewan Wheat Queen contest the same year. Wheat Queen? Wheat awesome. Queen. Awesome. Yeah, I like, would love that sash. Yeah, they have the Apple Blossom Festival <sighs> Queen Nova Scotia. So I think of it as kind of the same thing. It is. The bigger version in Calgary, the Stampede Queen. There you go. <laughs> At 8.30 p.m. on the 8th of June, 1961, the 56th commencement exercises for the Yorkton Union Hospital School of Nursing took place in the auditorium at Dr. D.J. Brass Vocational School. On the gallery page at alexandravivchuruk.net, Alexander can be seen posing for photos in her white nursing uniform with her 15 classmates, each of the young women holding a large bouquet on their laps while smiling earnestly. There are other photos from that day of Alexandra with her parents and older sister. Alexandra and her sister are beaming while her mother smiles politely. Alexandra's dad stands behind her, arms to his side, every bit the stoic Ukrainian prairie gentleman. I knew one Ukrainian family when I was in Calgary. They weren't like that at all. They're like the best people to go visit. Why was that? They're they? so fun. My friend was Natalie Makarenko, but not that the newscaster. Okay. <laughs> but the neighbor and her mom and dad and sister, they were super nice. And just, I don't think of them as stoic mm -hmm. at all. But maybe it was because we were kids and they didn't have to, like, they were just like relaxed and at home. Yeah. Different but, time too. Yeah. When I think about Ukrainian, I don't really think of stoic. Interesting. Just my experience. After the ceremony, the girls changed into their party dresses for the commencement dance. In another picture, Alexandra and her friends can be seen laughing. She's much shorter than the other two women flanking her. Wearing a darker colored satin dress, she stood out between her two friends and was grinning happily, cheek to cheek, with her date who was leaning in from behind. It was undoubtedly a moment of great relief and hope for the future. But in less than a year, Alexandra would be dead. Sad. That same year, led by her sister Maria's efforts and without Alexandra's knowledge, several people sent the young beauty queen's photo to a Saskatoon radio station. 
The station was putting on a special promotion in partnership with an up-and-coming country music star by the name of Johnny Cash. Oh, cool. The winning contestant was to be awarded a very special prize. Out of all the young women entered, Alexandra Vivchuruk was chosen. Alexandra was given tickets to the concert taking place at a Saskatoon fair on a stop on Johnny's tour. In front of 1,500 fans, Alexandra was brought up in stage, dubbed the girl in Saskatoon, and serenaded by Cash to the tune of his song by the same name. Oh, wow, sweet. The lyrics to Cash's song go in part. I left a little town a little south of Hudson Bay. I couldn't find a thing to make a rounder want to stay. I fought the wind across the barren waste in the crystal doom, going for to marry the girl in Saskatoon. I'm glad I realized that no one could take her place. My heart was beating for her like the winter beat my face. But knowing that I'd see her made my spirit bright as June, I'm freezing, but I'm burning for the girl in Saskatoon. Nice. Isn't that a great song? Classic Johnny. Nice. Yeah, and so Alexandra was the girl in Saskatoon in the song, The Girl in Saskatoon. That is cool. Who knew? Alexandra went to work at the City Hospital in Saskatoon in September of 1961. She was sharing a basement apartment in the city with three other nurses, Alice Hall, Doreen Baduke, and Pauline Tillis. Alex's friends told the Fifth Estate about their last memories of Alex on that Friday evening, May 18, 1962, just before the Victoria Day long weekend. She was getting ready to go out to work and planned to leave early to go for a walk down by the South Saskatchewan River before walking the short distance to the city hospital, where she was expected at 11.30. Alex borrowed a blouse from one of her roommates, bathed, put on her makeup, curled and dried her hair, and left just after 8.30 p.m. She bought some stamps and mailed some letters to friends and family. From Sharon Batala's book, The Girl in Saskatoon, quote, The pharmacy apprentice in the drugstore at the corner of 7th Avenue and 33rd Street where Alex bought the stamps remembered seeing her at 8 or 8.30. He said he remembered partly because of the, quote, unusual and striking green outfit she'd been wearing and the joke, pun, he said, they'd shared, but the store was full of customers and he didn't notice if she was alone or not. Nor did he ever tell the coroner's jury what the pun was. In any case... He also said that she seemed to be in a happy mood, a state hardly unusual for Alex, end quote. So she's just going out, buy some stamps, send some letters to friends and family. Just on her way. According to Patala's book, Alex was seen on 33rd Street chatting with a man by another man who drove by. The man was, quote, tall and well-built with darkish hair, who surprisingly for that time and place was wearing a white shirt and brown suit. Alex, her hands in the pockets of her green slacks, later was strolling along beside him, kicking her legs out in a casual, childlike, he thought, flirtatious way. So she was just being playful with this guy that she was walking along with. She's just chatting, small town, talking to someone. I think that's just normal. Yep. The witness, feeling an odd sense of concern for the young woman, claims he considered turning around to go back and check on her. But he was running late to meet his family. He was haunted by the decision to carry on and not follow his instinct after learning of Alexandra's fate. Alex was seen just after dark by another young man who was fishing in the river near the weir. She was sitting alone on the concrete, peering out at the river, her arms hugging her knees to her chest. 
A couple of teenage boys also remembered seeing her there. One had considered chatting her up, but chickened out. All three recalled a man close to Alex, above her, and to the left where she was sitting. None of them could recall his face. Who was this guy? Alexander's boyfriend, Hugh Carlton, called Alex's home asking after her. He was hoping to see her that night before she went off to work. He wanted to give her a lift. He was disappointed to find out from Alex's roommate that she'd already left. When hyper-responsible Alexandra did not arrive for her shift at the hospital, the duty nurse called Alex's home twice, looking for her. Her friends began to worry. One called the police, and another reached out to Alex's family. No one had seen or heard from her, and her nursing uniform was still hanging in her room, so everyone presumed she had meant to return home to get changed prior to going to work. The police, as had been typical in most of our stories, refused to help at first, thinking that Alex had possibly run off with a man for the long weekend. Everyone who knew her at all realized this was not like Alex, and they were really worried. Her family and friends began looking for her right away, but there was no trace of her. Yeah, I guess the police would be small town. They maybe wouldn't expect the worst like that. No, well, the police wouldn't for sure. Yeah. On May 22nd, four days after she was last seen, Alex's friends put out a small announcement in the Star Phoenix newspaper. It read, Missing. Worried friends of Alexander Vivchuruk, 1223 7th Avenue, have asked police to help locate her. Miss Vivchuruk, a nurse, was supposed to go on duty Friday night, but failed to do so and hasn't been heard of since. Efforts to locate her have been fruitless. End quote. So four days later, they put an ad in the paper. Yeah. It's still nothing. That's all they could do. Yeah. Other than just looking for her. Yeah. And we'll take a break right here. And we're back. Your grandmother lives in Saskatoon, Carol. So you've been there a number of times. Can you describe what kind of city it is? Yeah, it's quaint. When I was a kid, we used to go all the time. It felt very small compared to Calgary, which is funny to say. But the last time I went was probably about 10 years ago. It's nice. It's cute, I guess, in a way. I like it. What are the people like there? Well, we really only hung out with our family, so I don't really know in general. It was just friendly and nice, and it's relaxed, and there's farmers everywhere. It's like tractors and stuff around. So it's a small town. It's a small town, a small farming town, for sure. Mm. Or it was then. Now it's a little bit bigger. Yeah. And it's known for the university, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a little bit hipper. Like, sounds like it's a hipster, cooler place now. Police did not take any real action until May 23rd when they brought a police dog in to search along the riverbank where Alex had last been seen, but nothing of any real significance was found. Attempts to trace Alex's movements failed because a spring shower had destroyed the scent and the dogs couldn't find it to follow it. Five days later, as there was still no sign of Alexandra, thinking she may have drowned accidentally in the river, The police used a boat to look downstream for her body, and they went almost 50 kilometers downstream, so just checking all along the riverbanks and that kind of thing. They found nothing. With the hope of finding her somewhere else in Canada, police distributed Alexander's photo as far east as Quebec and west to Victoria, B.C. The letters Alex had sent on the night of her disappearance, one to his sister in Fort Williams, and another friend in Calgary did not indicate that Alexander was under any duress at all, and their tone was friendly and carefree. 
Sharon's roommates bucked at the idea that Alexander had simply run off. One of them, Doreen Baduke, told reporters for a Leader Post article on May 30, 1962, quote, A girl doesn't go away for almost two weeks without a change of clothes, and she doesn't go away even for a half an hour without her makeup or comb, end quote. This is a good point. But also I'm just thinking, just the technology we have now, they had none of it. None Someone of it. could go missing and no one would, there'd be no trace at all. No cell phone to trace, nothing. No, it's nothing to ping, no nope. like cameras that just happened to be on at the right time. Nothing. No. The same article continued quoting her father and her namesake, Alexander Vivchuruk. He said Alex was a well-behaved girl, continuing that he was sure she would have let he and her mom know if she'd planned to deviate from her routine, especially if she'd been planning a trip. Police questioned the staff and bus, air, and rail terminals, as well as taxi drivers, but no one had seen any sign of Alex. From Sharon Butala's book, The Girl in Saskatoon, quote, It would be 13 days before Alex was finally officially discovered by some children playing along the riverbank. They had found her a few days earlier, but when they told their father about the human hand they'd seen sticking out of the sand, he paid no attention to them, occupied with his fishing, either not hearing what they said or disbelieving them. The second time the children told him several days later, when they were again playing along the riverbank while he fished, he went with them to look, and seeing that they were right, he took the children home, at last called the police. It was just after 9 p.m. on May 31st. Oops. Isn't it? It's yeah. grim. And then those poor kids. Yeah. yeah. Apparently the way it worked out was there were younger kids in the first group, and when Dad didn't believe them, they just kind of let it go, but they're there again playing a few days later with some older cousins, and they took the older cousins, and it was the older cousins who convinced the dad that, yeah, this was a real thing. Got it. Okay. When police investigated the site, they found a human hand sticking out of the earth. Alexander had been buried hastily in a shallow grave in the area of 33rd Street West and Spadina Crescent, around 800 meters from the apartment she shared and 30 meters from the water near the small stand of trees. According to an article in the Star Phoenix on June 1, 1962, quote, The body was nude from the waist down. On the right foot was a shoe and a pair of lime green slacks covered part of one leg. The foot was bare. The multicolored blouse and brassiere were ripped down the front, and the dark green cardigan was partially off. Her head was covered with dirt and blood, and her hair matted loose to her skull. Ugh. Buried with Alexandra and lying on her chest was a 13-pound slab of broken concrete, approximately 10 inches by 9 inches and 3 inches deep. There was no blood on the concrete, nor did it match any of the injuries on Alex's body, so it was unclear why it had been placed there. There were no indications that Alex's body had been dragged there, and it appeared that the murder had taken place exactly where the children had found her. Police believed that the recent rain had washed away the dirt covering her hand, exposing it to the elements. Perhaps, had the weather been dry, she might not have been found until much later. Alexander was identified by her roommates thanks to the clothing she wore, but the wallet she had been carrying was missing and never found. But what... I'm just wondering, what concrete? Why? That's so weird. The whole thing. Poor thing. The coroner determined that Alexandra had been sexually assaulted, and there was sperm inside her body. From Sharon Butala's book, quote, She had sustained a punch in the face that had broken her nose and the sinuses behind it. 
pushed the nose into her face and blackened her eye so that the right side of her face was unrecognizable with swelling and discoloration. Massive hemorrhage, quote, the pathologist wrote. One of her teeth lay loose in her mouth. It's horrible. How hard do you have to punch someone to break their sinuses? Very hard. Alexandra's skull had been fractured badly. According to Sharon Batala, the pathologist, Dr. Ed Andres, investigating Alex's death, said, quote, She would have had to fall 10 or 15 feet to cause the damage evident, but as there were many lacerations, he could not tell if the instrument used had been, say, a hammer and many blows with it, or something big and round-edged and one blow. Such a blow or blows would have knocked her unconscious. Yuck. Batala continued, the killer then buried her. He had done so while she was still alive because the pathologist found dirt and sand in her mouth and windpipe, oral cavity, pharynx, larynx, trachea, and upper esophagus. She died, finally, he said, of asphyxiation when she inhaled the sand and dirt of her grave. That is a nightmare. Thankfully, as Alex had been unconscious at the time of her death, there would not have been the panic at her inability to breathe. Alexandra's digestive tract indicated that she died approximately one hour after she'd been last seen by the teens near the river. There was also evidence of a struggle during the attack, and police assumed the killer may have had scratches or bruises on him, resulting from Alexandra's attempts to defend herself. Yeah. A reward for information leading to an arrest in Alexandra's murder quickly grew from $1,000 to $2,000. Police were questioning individuals with records of sexual assault and violence as far away as Edmonton, but there were no solid leads. Oh, wow. The Vivchuk family was devastated. The baby of the family was suddenly gone and had been taken violently. No one could think of anyone who would want to do such a thing to Alex, who was a lovely person. Alexandra had not a single enemy in the world that anyone was aware of. After hearing of his baby girl's death, Alex's dad was speechless. According to Marie Moss, Alex's mom didn't say a word either and collapsed on the floor when she heard the horrible news. Can't even imagine. On the evening of Sunday, June 3, 1962, a prayer service was held at the chapel in the Saskatoon funeral home. The next day at 1.30 p.m., a Ukrainian Orthodox minister named Reverend Bodnarchuk presided over Alexander's funeral. Family and friends from all over Canada were in attendance at the sad affair. Alexandra was later interred at the local cemetery. Two weeks after Alex's funeral, a donation from the Cosmopolitan Club of Saskatoon brought the reward for information leading to the capture and prosecution of her murderer up to $3,000. These types of things did not happen in Saskatoon at the time, and a lot of people who lived there remember it very vividly to this day. Violent crime, especially sexually motivated murder of a young woman, was exceptionally rare. It was a safe city for women. Cops questioned the usual suspects, and even though a few stood out, no charges were brought. According to CBC's Fifth Estate, quote, the 131-man Saskatoon police force began working immediately on the murder of Alexander Vivchuruk. Police questioned and eliminated 52 possible suspects by the end of July 1962. RCMP detachments in Saskatchewan and Alberta checked out a further 100 possible suspects. Oh man, that is a lot. By 1970, the case had gone cold. It seemed that Alex's family were no closer to a resolution in their beloved daughter and sister's murder. They always suspected the police knew far more than they were willing to tell, but they were shut out and told to let the cops do their job. 
That sounds kind of typical. In the 1990s, author Sharon Batala, Alex's schoolmate, began to poke around and wondered what had happened to her friend. From the archived CBC's Fifth Estate articles on the case, as a companion to a 2008-2009 documentary on Alex's murder, Butala, quote, pursued the story and her persistence led to a retired police officer named, named Ed Yakubowski. Like Sharon Batala, he continued to be haunted by the memory of Alex Vivchuruk long after her murder. Ed Yakubowski had been a beat cop at the time of Alex's murder, and he had his own suspicions about who might have killed her. But it wasn't until he moved up the ladder of the police force, when he took over the police force's murder and robbery squad, that he was able to look through the evidence in the Vivchuruk file, 1,700 pages including 650 interviews and statements, and follow up on his original hunch. His results were futile. He retired in 1998, and he was never able to forget Alex Vivchuruk and what happened to her on the night of May 18, 1962. So it sounds like her family was right, and maybe the cops did know more than they were letting on. They probably do or did have a very, very strong suspect in the case, but no action has ever been able to be taken on it. Yeah. That's no usually evidence. the case. Yeah. Yakubowski began to kick up a stink about the lack of attention paid to unsolved murders like that of Alexander Vivchuruk and became a thorn in the side of the Attorney General. In 1998, Ed's persistence paid off and a cold case task force was created to look cases like Alex's, again from the Fifth Estate's articles on the case. Quote, Sergeant Neil Wiley of the Saskatoon Police Force Service Major Crimes Unit was beginning one last effort to find the killers of Alexander Vivchuruk. The challenge for the police is that so many witnesses have died, so many memories have faded, but now new technology may provide answers that memories cannot. Evidence from the 1962 crime scene was tested for DNA in the mid-1990s without success. But... The police are hoping that new advancements in DNA will help them to identify Alexander Vivchuruk's killer. Oh, that's cool. I was thinking that, but then I thought it was so long ago, maybe the DNA wouldn't be useful, but sounds like that may not be the case. In 2004, police received permission from Alex's family to exhume her body with the hope of obtaining DNA evidence that could lead to a viable suspect in the murder. After the exhumation, Alex was re-examined. On her body a hair was discovered that did not belong to Alexandra. Over the next few years, thanks to a DNA profile created from the hair, a number of people of interest were cleared as not involved in Alex's slaying. This included one of the young men who happened to be one of the last claiming to have seen Alex alive. Other people of interest eliminated by DNA were men who had criminal histories involving crimes similar to the one perpetrated against Alexandra. But here's the problem with that hair. There's a major problem with it. Mm -hmm. They don't know if it came from a doctor, a pathologist, the kids who found her, on and on and on and on. It could be so many different people who that hair could belong to. Maybe it's like a tentative ruling out. I don't yeah. know. But um, if people are being ruled out in that way, then why so? Yeah. And it's also amazing they found one hair on her after all that time. After all that time, yeah. It was after reading Sharon Batala's book 
that four of Alexander's nieces were compelled to pick up the mantle and become the next generation to champion the drive to solve their aunt's murder. From an article in the Star Phoenix newspaper in June 2008, quote, The women discussed undertaking their own investigation in the 1980s, but family responsibilities hampered the plan. They got to Saskatoon in 1992 to poke around and walk Vivchuruk's last known path, then returned in 1994 and every four years or so thereafter. Each time they stirred the pot, more sources surfaced, phone calls and emails resulted in new leads that were researched and organized into four boxes labeled with four distinct scenarios. Now, with their kids grown and moved out, time has become an ample resource. The amateur detectives intend to return to Saskatoon once a month until a conclusion has been reached. All right, they're on a mission. Yeah, and that was in June 2008. I don't know if they're still doing it Mm -hmm. uh, as uh, vigorously as that. They might be. Patty Story, Lorraine Phillips, Lynn Gratrix, and Gwen Terrelson, living all over North America, were the women who felt compelled to bring attention to Alex's case. Phillipson's story began looking around in 1988. But over the years, they'd been talking to the cops, and according to other news articles, they'd amassed 25 binders full of information. They created the websites alexandervivchuruk.net and justiceforalex.com. They packed them full of information about the crime itself, exclusive family photos, and stories about the investigation since 1962, as well as many news articles about Alex. They reached out to other news organizations and began to make noise. All right. Story told the newspaper in 2008, quote, No matter how small or irrelevant things may seem, we want anyone with information to talk to us. Even some of the far-out weird ones, tips, have developed into something, she said. In October of 2008, in the Leader Post, Alexander's four nieces were featured in a photo in front of a billboard they directed on the corner of 25th Street and 2nd Avenue in Saskatoon. On the left of the massive billboard was a profile photo of Alexandra Vivchuruk. It said simply, Nurse murdered, 1962, Alexandra Vivchuruk. Any information, please call 1-866-794-1962. And then the web address, www.alexandravivchuruk.net. And I'll post links so you know the spelling. In 2011, in an act of vandalism by local dum-dums, Alex's headstone had been chipped and required repairs costing upwards of $3,000. Rude. At 8 p.m. on May 18, 2012, the family held a 50th year anniversary memorial for Alexander Vivchuruk. A candlelight vigil took place at 33rd and Spadina, near the riverbank where she was last seen. The next day at 10 a.m., they held a memorial service at the Ukrainian Orthodox Church at 918 20 Street West in Saskatoon. After the service, there was a blessing at Alexander's gravesite. So 50 years at that point. On May 18, 2020, in the annual newspaper memorial to Alexander, a place there by her family, they wrote, quote, We think about you always. We talk about you still. You have never been forgotten. Lord knows you never will. We hold you close within our hearts, and there you will remain to walk with us through our lives until we meet again. Missing you, sister, Pearl, nieces, Patty, and Lorraine, a warm thank you to the friends of Alex. So that was the last uh, anniversary. Yeah, just last year. It's 50 years. They've been 
just well, unless, unless this case is solved, you can expect to see the family memorials every year in the Saskatoon papers remembering Alexandra Vivchuruk as the case near 60 years yeah. without justice for Alex and her family. Our hope is that this podcast maybe jogs someone's memory from all those years ago, or maybe somebody overheard an older relative speaking about the case in a way that stood out uncomfortably. The contact page on justiceforalex.com reads, quote, Can you help? If you have any information that could help the investigation into Alexander Vivchuk's murder, here's some contact information for you. So, Saskatoon Police, and then we'll post a link to the Saskatoon Police website with their email and their phone number. The Saskatoon Crime Stoppers, we'll post links to that. And also the Nieces of Alexandra, their official website, and the phone numbers that we've mentioned before. So we want you, if you have any information at all, no matter how weird or small it is, call them. And uh, they say all calls are private and confidential. So on a side note, when Johnny Cash heard about Alexander Vivchuruk's murder, he was devastated. And he vowed to never again play the song The Girl in Saskatoon in concert as long as he lived. And he didn't do so until his own death in 2003. Wow. Yeah. And so we'll put some links to some versions of Johnny's song in our show notes as well. And that is it for this week's uh, case. That was so sad. Yeah. The unsolved ones feel so unsatisfying because I can't call someone a dirtbag or, you know, like. Yeah, the only thing you could yell about was the vandals. The Yeah, the vandals to her gravesite. Yeah, they yeah. probably didn't even realize what was going well, on. They were just regular, just everyday kids, but. The fact that this has gone on for so long. Yeah, her families, they really want to know. Just and, sad. And it's 60 years later. Yeah, and they still want more information. Like, they haven't given up. But if someone, so say a, a suspect is dead, can't they tell the family that they had a suspect? And I don't know, maybe the police has told them. I don't know. And they can't talk about it publicly, but it doesn't seem like it because they still... No, they still want to know. They still want to have answers. Yeah. So if they told them something in confidence that they can't share. But it doesn't seem like that's the They're still asking for help. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that's it for this week's case. That's sad. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people don't kind of really dig the unsolved stuff because there's no resolution to it and it's frustrating. But honestly, that's why I did it. Because I want to help if I can, yeah. and this is the only way. Yeah, they're, yeah. Someone might hear this and they might remember something or know about something. Yeah. It just really stood out to me when I read about this and I really wanted to cover it. So, yeah. so let's move on to uh, voicemails for the week and see if anybody gave us a call. Hopefully, we got some phone calls this week. <laughs> if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so at one eight seven seven. 327-5786 or 1877-DARKPTN and if your call stands out you might hear it on the show the usual spiel so let's see what we have for voicemails this week hey guys my name is Amanda and I'm calling from Victoria BC so right across the, across the water from you guys just want to say thanks for this amazing podcast 
um, I decided to call after I heard Carol's obligatory Weird Al reference on the Butterbox episode. I also want to say thanks to you, Mike, for opening up and showing us the importance of confronting trauma and mental health. Um, you've always been so candid about what's happened with you, and I think podcast hosts like that are one in a million, and you truly are. Um, yeah, so thank you again so much for this podcast, and I hope you keep it going. Go take a poop in your duke. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Calling Amanda. From Victoria, BC. Poops in the toques. Yeah, we're going to do lots of poops in our toques. It's happening. <laughs> no, not right now. No. Oh, wait, stop. No. Carol. Don't Google that. Don't. No. Don't. <laughs> Poop toque. Yeah. I'm sure there's something. <laughs> oh, no, I don't even want to think we about it. We should actually just put a bunch of stuff up about pooping in toques, just so when people Google it, they'll find the show. That could work. It would be really funny. Well, thank you uh, so much, Amanda. That really means a lot that... Uh, you appreciate my candor because I, I feel it's important. I feel it's important to share things because it might help somebody else. You just never know how it's going to help. You just don't. You don't. All right. Uh, let's, let's listen to another one. Oh boy. There's a few this week. Wow. Good week. Hey guys. Um, I just heard the Butterbox baby episode. My name is Sarah. I live in Minnesota. Um, as someone who's adopted as an infant here in the States, it affected me more than I thought it would. My heart breaks for all the women and children who were involved in that horrendous trade. And I greatly appreciate the love and care that you put into telling this story. And I feel a sense of camaraderie with you and everyone else who's been through it. And once again, very well done. I'm, uh, I've now listened to 60 episodes in six days. That is a lot. And I'm thankful I have more to go through and that more keep coming out. So keep up the great work. Thank you. Wow. 60 episodes in six days. That's that is. A oh, lot. man. And I'm sorry you've had to hear my voice that many times. <laughs> but I know the Butterbox one, it's uh, troubling. Crimes Against Babies is just horrible. Well, yeah, and it's the adoption angle too. So yeah. there's a lot of us adoptees out there who, who've been through interesting stuff around our adoptions. So Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much. Uh, look, this looks like a message just for Carol. <gasps> which is, what? Uh, I hope oh, it's gosh. somebody being nice anyway. Oh, I hope so. Let's have a listen. <laughs> Hi, this is April from Texas. I'm calling to leave a message for Carol. I just adore your giggles and your your bright side of life. I I need to start emulating that more. Be be more like Carol. Anyway, I just I just appreciate her so much. And you too, Mike. I'm not forgetting you, but this message is strictly for Carol. <laughs> anyway, y'all have a wonderful day. Leave it in. <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh, shit, crap. oh crap. That's well, okay. A wonderful day and all oh, crap. I know how that goes. Uh, <laughs> April, you're the best. That's so I think so maybe nice. the all crap was her being pulled over by the cops for talking <laughs> on her phone. Get off the phone. Get off the phone. <laughs> 
maybe they're a little less uh if they knew that they she was leaving a dark routine message they'd just give her a pass yeah yeah i'm pretty sure texas cops are like that yeah <laughs> anyway it was nice to get just a special message you got a special message just for you oh april thank you yeah that was really nice I and like also it. from texas that's so cool yeah well you know the stars at night are big and bright Yep, deep in the heart of Texas. Yes, they are. Pee-wee told me that. Oh, that there's no basement in the Alamo. Either. There is no. <laughs> That's it for this week's voicemails. We did receive a couple others and one long one that was really interesting. Um, and I'm going to be looking into, she called telling us that her cousin had been murdered in Ontario years ago and she had just learned about that. So um, I'm going to be looking into that one a little further, but I don't want to talk about that on the show just yet because it sounds interesting yeah no that was a good voicemail yeah no we can't play them all yeah there's still we listen to all of them yeah and there might be something that you tell us that might get a mention on the show later, later on. on or you may prompt us to do an entire episode it could happen it could happen so feel free to call with that stuff too it's not just you want to say, tell us something that we're going to hear on the show. We want to hear from you. It's the dark poutine tip line. Yeah, exactly. And the dark poutine tip line is one 327 5786 or 1-877-D-A-R-K-P-T-N. There you go. So but these I, calls are recorded, unlike other tip lines. Yeah, these, these calls <laughs> are definitely recorded. So it is time for us to move on to our patrons. Yay. Thank you, patrons. It's uh, one of Carol's favorite parts of the show. And uh, I think it's one of everybody's favorite parts of the I show, think frankly. So. But uh, gratitude is always good. Gratitude is great. More and more about gratitude, like science. Science. It's not just a feel good thing, it actually changes your brain to be uh, grateful, to be uh, like a conscious awareness of being grateful. Yeah. Science. Yeah. We do a gratitude list every night before we go to bed, both of us. Yep. Yeah. I write five things that I'm grateful for every day, uh, and they're often very different things day to day. Sometimes they're the same things day after day. Yep. But I am finding that I sleep better going to bed with gratitude on my mind. So there you go. All right. We have a few patrons here. And then this first one, I don't know where she lives, but her name is Il Isabel Couture. <gasps> She wears fancy clothes, clearly. She wears fancy clothes, clearly. But where's she from, Carol? Bismarck. She's from Bismarck, North Dakota? Yes. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So what does she do in Bismarck, North Dakota? She is a legal bank robber. What? Exactly. So this is why she can't say where she's from. I shouldn't have probably said she's from Bismarck. That's oh. actually phony. Okay. Because she actually is someone who tests how easily it is to penetrate bank security. Wow. I know. It's a very like a double spy situation. That's really cool, actually. Yeah, I know. I want to be a legal bank robber. Oh, can you imagine? I've legally robbed a bank today. You're just waving guns in the bank and it's all okay? What did you do it's today? not okay. I robbed a bank. Oh, you know, I got into this bank. I robbed several Several. I got paid for it. Out of four, I was only able to get money out of three. So that one bank was 
tough. They did a good job. There you go. They had a good security guard at the door. Well, thanks, Isabel. That's kind of awesome. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service, robbing banks legally. Keeping our money safe. I guess so. She has to return all the money anyway, so. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Where'd that other 10 bucks go? Oh, come on. I'm buying myself a coffee. I'd have lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Starbucks is right there. What do you expect? Exactly. I'm not human. Next up, we have from St. Mary's, Ontario, Stacy Howe. Stacy Howe? How and why? How and why. So what does Stacy do in St. Mary's, Ontario, Carol? She's a teddy bear surgeon. We've had teddy bear surgeon. I know, but there's more than one. Oh, really? Yes. So she fixes teddy bears. She's the neurologist. Not every surgeon can do every piece of the teddy bear. Oh, so some do the belly. Yeah. She does the heads. Yeah. Sewing the eyes back on and putting the stuffing back in the head for the brains. Very experienced. Ah. Yes, exactly. That's a lot of detail work. There you go. That is. It wow. Is. Thanks, Stacy. Stacy, the teddy bears thank you and love you. Yeah. She's a prize amongst all the teddy bears. They have a parade in her honor every year. That's funny. <laughs> Next, we have Josh Waleen, and I don't know where Josh is from. I'm going to take a wild guess. Do you think I should? Josh Waleen. I think that Josh might be from... Walla Walla, Washington? No, Outer Sclavobia. Oh, whoa! Yeah, I think Far that's, away. that's quite a ways away. That is between um, the Russian Federation mm-hmm. and Kazakhstan. Whoa! Somewhere in there. Oh Somewhere in that gosh. region, outer sclavobia. Tough living out there. You know that is outer it cold sclavobia there? is not a real thing. No. But anyway, yeah, it's cold there as well. What does Josh Willeen do in outer sclavobia? I've always wanted to say outer sclavobia on the show, by the way. So He's a cheese sprayer. He sprays cheese. I don't know if I even want to know what a cheese sprayer is or does. It's what- very important part of cheese popcorn. He's the person that makes sure that all the cheese is... Uh, distributed evenly on the popcorn. So the fake cheese is sprayed evenly. The edible oil product is sprayed evenly. Well, you know, someone's going to do it. Thank you, Joshua Lean. And maybe he has like a very special top-notch gourmet cheese spray. It could be. I think you shouldn't be snobbing off the cheese sprays. I'm snobbing off <laughs> them. I think it's sprays. the gourmet cheese sprayer that he does. Yeah. Yep. Delicious. Delicious. Josh, you can send us all the cheese popcorn you want. I will eat it. It will be delicious. Okay. Mike, you won't? I don't know. More for me. Yay! More for Carol. Next, we have Sarah Walschick from Forest Lake, Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota. That's right below Saskatchewan, or Saskatchewan, isn't it? Minnesota? I think you better get out of map. I don't want to count on my... Uh... Uh, no, it's right below uh, Manitoba. So, I don't know. I'm not very good at maps. Are you not good at maps? No. It's You're not re- a cartographer? I am not a cartographer. Well, I Too was bad. actually. she is. I was a cartographer for the movies. Remember that? I did map making. Oh, you did map making of the actual... Of the sets and Of the stuff. sets. Yeah. Oh, I don't really think of that as a cartographer. It is. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The sets are, here is where the chairs are. Where are the director's chairs? Let me check my map. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what Sarah does. She and, is a cartographer. Who does she do that for? She's a freelancer. Oh, yeah. That's Carol's way of saying, I don't know, and who I else? had to think on my feet. <laughs> 
who could she work for? Well, she could be a map maker for um, a cheese company in Minnesota. Why would she that... make maps for cheese companies? Well, you have to know where they hid the cheese. They hid the cheese. <laughs> oh, they have. You know what? That could it's be cheese treasures. It's uh, proprietary uh, recipes. Exactly. They can't just leave those exactly. recipes out for everyone to get. It prevents corporate espionage. There you go. The other less uh, lesser cheese sprays. They're yep. trying to get the recipe. They That's have to right. keep it. It's like exactly. a treasure map. <gasps> She's a treasure map cartographer. Yeah, that's it. See, we got oh there. Oh, my God. We got there. Oh, We figured it out. We sure did. Together. Together. Next, we have Paul Lusignani. And Paul is from Rippleside in Australia. In Australia? I don't know where Rippleside is. is I need to look up place? Rippleside, Australia. But that... you'd have to say it like an Australian. Can you imagine Australia? He lives in Rippleside, in Australia. Rippleside? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's uh, kind of cool. I'm Rip... pretty sure they mentioned Rippleside in Underbelly and Wentworth. Rippleside? Uh, whoa. Rippleside, Australia. Tomorrow... Well, I guess today, because today? they're 24 hours ahead of What's us. What's happening? It's Rippleside Day today. What? January 18th. What oh. are the chances? Oh, no, that's the date. Okay. Oh, darn. Oh, they're just celebrating Monday tomorrow, even though today is our Sunday. Right, exactly. Because they're in I, the future. I made a mistake. Oh, I got all excited, but that's okay. We wanted to have it be Rippleside Day today. Wow. it Rippleside is not a super big place. It's uh, in Geelong. In Victoria, Australia. Oh, very nice. Overlooks Corio Bay. Look at those cool trees. I love those trees. It is. Yeah. Very nice. neat. And so what on earth does Paul do in Rippleside? Sadly, he's a vomit collector. What? I know. What the heck does a vomit he collector do? He works at do? the hospital. It's a tough job. It pays well because it's pretty much a biohazard job. So he works at the hospital collecting vomit? Yeah, like, he's got to test it for stuff. Oh, good Lord. I know. Well, they we're have sorry, to test Paul. those poor guys, but he wears one of the big hazmat suits. He's well protected. He's Does he well get to wear paid. a hat? Yeah, of course. So he wears a cool hat. That's his vomit protector. <laughs> kind of like one of those hats that say bikini inspector, but it says vomit inspector. I don't know why, <laughs> but I, I was going like I was Googling some stuff. And for some reason, I saw a pair of short shorts with the word groceries on the back. <laughs> I don't know why. What? It was just short shorts with like in comics, well, in like a comic 70s sort of uh Yeah, I can font. picture it. It just said groceries. So like those short, shiny shorts they used to wear with when they go roller skating. These were terry cloth ones. Oh, yeah. terry cloth classic. Yeah. Yeah. Groceries. Hmm. Yeah. I wish that, you could find maybe that. that. Maybe Paul would collect vomit from <laughs> after seeing the groceries shorts. Just weird. At anyway, the hospital? Yeah. At the <laughs> so he's a hospital worker. Yeah. He's essential service. So yeah. thank you for your service. Sorry about that. There you go. Well, thank you to all our patrons and donut money donors, past and present, for your help to keep us doing what we do. If you want to make a donation, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash dark poutine. And that way you get all the neato subscription things that come along with that. Or for a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via our PayPal address at our email, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. 
If you don't already subscribe to the show, it mean a lot to us if you did. You can find us on iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out darkpatine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Please take a time to give take time to give Dark Patine a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Come and join us in the Yumber Yard, our Facebook group. There's like 9,500 members There's there. a lot of people in there hanging out. Yep, just hanging out. Everybody kind of hanging out, and it's really quite a nice place. It is putting up the memes. I love the memes in there. Yep. There's been a few really uh, provocative ones lately, but in a good way. I think that, uh, you know, some memes that will promote good discussion are a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're up over 9,600 members now. We only need 400 more, and then we've, oh, we're have we over that 10,000 mark. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? That's so cool. And then uh, Facebook gives us a whole bunch of money. No, they don't give us anything. They give us zero dollars. They give us well. zero for zero. Yeah. They we give get us a, to speak with all of you, exactly. and sometimes we do like a little meetup online. I know in the craft barn we do every now and then. We did last week. Yep, Exactly. Oh, and then there's the the barnyard where we see everybody's animals. Yeah. <gasps> and then there's that nice. Yeah. So we wanted to take a man- minute to mention uh, one of our listeners, James Cox, uh, had a little bit of artwork commissioned for us. Uh, and it's sort of, <laughs> it's so cute. It's I a little cartoon it. of Carol and I doing a podcast. And that's kind of our setup there, the way he's got us, me sitting kind of on the edge there on a chair. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty that much it. That looks like us. And look at his mustache. It's so cute. Yeah. I can't believe it. I'm a cartoon. I love it. So thanks. Thank you, James. It's so nice. Yeah, James, you're a sweetheart. Thank you very, very much. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Cue Carol. See you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, bye, bye.